Welcome back to the Lost Boys Movie Minute Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the 1987 movie directed by Joel Schumacher, part of the Radio Horror Network. I am your host, Dr. Chris. And I'm Scott Danielson. And the music you're listening to in the background is Aerosmith with Run DMC, Walk This Way, which is appropriate as it is played at the beginning of this bonfire scene, which we begin our five minutes on, and then it ends with um, Star telling Michael uh, the truth about what's been going on. Mm-hmm. She's yeah, just about to get into the the details. Definitely, definitely. Um, so yeah, the bonfire scene has this uh, Aerosmith song playing in the background. Yeah, and it, and it actually just dropped at the time, like the previous year, and it become kind of a sensation. It put it's widely credited with putting um, hip hop music into the mainstream because uh, you know, the, especially because it had the pairing. It had a pretty famous music video where there was literally like Steven Tyler smash, you know, smashing through a wall to screech the chorus uh, with Run DMC, and then them kind of just doing like little dancing on stage together at the end. So yeah, it was it was a big it was a big track at the time. So it makes sense that this group of younger folks is playing it at their party. I wonder if there's a story behind that, um, the collaboration of those two, uh, you know, enough to make a movie. You know, I, I like, yeah, it's it's I can actually tell you what the story is behind this. I actually know this. It's it's Rick Rubin. <laughs> yeah, Rick Rubin is the producer. He's the producer behind a lot of really important albums like. Uh, He's the guy behind, like, Blood Sugar Sex Magic for the Red Hot Chili Peppers. He's the guy that insisted on um, Under the Bridge making it onto the album. And so he was making um, he was making the album with Run DMC, and he said, it's like, look, we just, it's like, look, you guys have a sound, and you guys are, like, right at the, right at the forefront. Why don't you do a cover of this Aerosmith song? And both guys and all of, like, Run DMC was like, we had no idea what the words meant. We just did them. Because... <laughs> <laughs> barely it's it was complete gibberish to them and they're like yeah we'll collaborate with aerosmith aerosmith's real big right now they had this major major comeback in the 80s and yeah it just and it just took off and then that combined with the video and mtv still being huge at the time and they they put them out into the stratosphere and then they got to you know sell their adidas <laughs> The collaboration between such a prominently well-known rock band and a prominently well-known R&B or uh, hip-hop band, uh, you know, all the cast being white, all the cast being black, coming together to form like this amazing song, was a huge deal in in, in the nineteen in nineteen eighty-six. Oh yeah, I mean, it's kind of like it, it. The best way to describe it is that for anything by, like, uh, you know, um, you know, a, a rap song to make it into the top you know, Billboard Top 100 was unheard of at the time. And so to have not only to make the Top 100, but also to have crossover appeal with rock audiences, you know, and also, like, arguably, they, like, this this version has become more famous than the original by Aerosmith from the 70s. So uh, it's, just, the, it's just a moment in time. One of my other favorite songs by Run DMC is uh, Christmas in Compton, from uh, which is usually heard at the very beginning of Die Hard. I, I love that. This <laughs> it's one of my favorite exchanges in a movie where John McClane is just like, "You got any Christmas music?" and the, and our guy's like, "This is Christmas music." <laughs> Speaking of other minutes, <laughs> there's a whole Die Hard movie minute podcast too, by the way. Oh, of course. Yeah. That I'm I'm sure that gets like less interesting towards the end. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, 
we also so the right after uh david explains what they're gonna do i mean re- not really explains it whatever but they're gonna go down and attack the people at the bonfire he vamp faces out which is i gotta think kind of the inspiration for uh joss whedon's buffy the vampire slayer in fact i i, I swear i remember him saying something about that yeah it's just it yeah because we've never actually seen them in full vampire we've just seen implicate we've just seen implicated action but this is the first time and they just all just start showing their faces and their eyes and their fangs um and they yeah so, and they start tearing apart the, the 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 campers and michael falls out of the tree and he's got the uh contact lenses in david bites the head of the bald guy which is kind of crazy I, I was actually gonna ask what is your like favorite gruesome moment within this within this because it is i it's arguably the most violent section within the film it's probably the scene besides how the vampires die at the end uh spoiler uh that get them the <laughs> r rating because the rest of the movie up to this point is pretty tame i mean the sex scene there is no sex scene it's a pg-13 lovemaking scene and yeah. the swearing has pretty much been very minimal yeah i have i can't really recall any distinctive like you know nobody saying the f word or anything like that but yeah it, this this whole thing is gruesome like and it's cut in a way that it's hard to get individual moments outside of David eating the bald guy's head and the blood spurting off off of him. Um, the blood that they're covered with afterwards looks so watered down, though. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I, f- I feel like, and I'm sure, I don't know if there's, like, details on... Uh, um, from like behind the scenes, but I, I swear that's the kind of thing where it's like, okay, we're going to paint it onto them. And then they've just been like sweating in the heat in their costumes all day or, or just being near the fire. Honestly, was so, there I don't any know. Women, was there any women at that bonfire? It was hard to tell. All I, all I could see is men. And that's all I could, at least, especially those are the only people that they seem to focus on at least being killed. So I don't think there's any women in this case. The uh, subtext of this movie again shows through. <laughs> yes, a lot of lot of not so subtle subtext. <laughs> you will never die. You grow. You will. Uh, you will never grow old. You will never die. But you must feed, Michael. That's yeah, the famous feed. line of the Lost Boys that David says. Mm-hmm. Sam wakes up in his bedroom with uh He's got a sleeping mask on at the age of like 12 <laughs> you know like every 12 year old does you know you're going to middle school you get your sleeping mask that's just how it works right um and grandpa's left him another stuffed animal this time an owl which he then puts in the closet and the closet is filled with with stuffed animals <laughs> yeah well oh i mean like some kids that age would have stuffed animals but this is a very different Meaning, <laughs> yeah, no, no. This is a uh, this is a uh, taxidermist stuffed animal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then uh, he turns around and Michael's there, and uh, he's uh, you know he's like, what, what what's going on, Michael? And then Star calls out for Michael, and he's like, is she one of them? He's and tells Michael to go lock the doors, and then Star flies up there. She means she yeah. has vampire powers. Yeah, just shows up there. And it actually raises that question about, like, half vampires, because she's in the house without an invitation. <laughs> right. Again, I, I just think, but because maybe the master's been there already, maybe it negates anybody else being able to come in. Yeah, something like that. I don't know. Um, and then, <laughs> I love Sam's line says, don't tell me it doesn't make her a bad person because she's a vampire. <laughs> You drank someone's blood? Are you crazy? (laughs) Yeah, I just like that his reaction is, is, I'm going to run to my bed, 
cover myself with a sheet mostly, and then I will be safe. I don't. I'm gonna <laughs> don't eavesdrop understand. on your conversation with your girlfriend by basically commentating through it. <laughs> Yeah, and also the way that he talks, it's like I feel like he, I feel like Michael has probably brought home a, a dangerous girl before. <laughs> like, no, don't tell me she's okay. Don't do that. We've already been burned before. I, I but that line where he's just like, "You drank someone's blood? Are you crazy?" <laughs> yeah, like he was offered as if it was blood, but he's just he's just not will. He's not here to hear anything. <laughs> uh. Just sticking his head out for the sheet. And then of course Star's like, You you were uh um I needed you were supposed to be my first kill. Yeah, and then David saw that I liked you and this is like I'm the reason this happened if you and she's <laughs> she keeps she keeps trying to apologize but also saying like if we weren't attracted to each other this wouldn't have been a problem. <laughs> And then, and then it cuts, and then our, and then our final minute, it cuts off right off where it says, it's like, oh, no, now I'm like David. Now I'm just like David. Michael's really upset. And then she's like, no, 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 you're not like David. You're like Laddie and me. And then it cuts, and that's when our minute cuts off. And it's yeah. like, oh. Yeah, right, right, right there where, where she, she's about to, where she basically explained that, you know, he's not quite yet a vampire. He's got to kill someone first. Yeah, just about to get the ex- just about to get all the backstory and then uh, cut off. <laughs> cut off. Um, that is pretty much it for this episode of the Lost Boys Movie Minute podcast. I don't have any other notes. I had one note. I just wanted to note a music change. It's r- and I thought it was actually pretty appropriate that right after the big massacre and they they put like r- remains of the bodies on a bonfire and Michael's, like, rolling down the sand, they start playing what sounds like Phantom of the the Opera organ in the middle of it, like old-school gothic horror stuff, like, here it is, which I just thought was a good... It was, I thought that was a nice touch. Yeah, that uh, cue of the music is, is very much excellent, indeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, it's just evocative of, like, like, I swear that's the kind of music you'd hear in, like, the old Dracula film. As, you know, like, Good Evening, like, right before that, so... I thought that was a good touch. One thing I wanted to point out real quick of uh, the uh, films of 1987. Um, <laughs> wow. Was 1987 the year of movies? Can you name, without looking, at least three movies that came out in 1987? 1987. Um, not off the top of my... I'm, I, 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 I swear if you just, just gave me a just couple, name, like, I'd be like, oh, three, yeah. Just name three movies that you think came out in 1987. Three movies I think came out in 1987. Um, let's see. Uh, Predator? You are absolutely correct. Predator did come out in 1987. Uh, fellow vampire flick Near Dark, I think, came out then. Um, I don't believe so. No. It's not right. listed in the uh, main run of movies. Oh, there's one more, though. For a personal favorite, A Lethal Weapon is there. Did Lethal Weapon come out in 1987? Yes, it did. Now, what is so funny about Lethal Weapon coming out in 1987, the same year as The Lost Boys? What movie is Richard Donner tied to connected to Lethal Weapon <laughs> and The Lost Boys that came out and unfortunately was the last of its franchise until 2006? 
Oh, that's that the that's the final Superman. Is that right? Yep, Superman for... and the quest for peace. And by the way, you're right about oh. Near Dark. It did finally pop up. Oh, uh, there we go. Okay, yes, yeah, Superman Four: The Quest for Peace came out in 1987. Oh gosh, unfortunately. <laughs> That was that was the Canon film produced one. Which yeah. Is... Oh man. Do you know why that movie was such a disaster? Because of another movie that came out in 1987. Uh no, I I, I just know that the what I know of the production I know from I forget what it was called, but it's basically a, it was a, I watched a documentary about Canon Films, the studio. Uh-huh. And they basically just got the rights. They got the rights to um to Superman, so they're like, oh, we're going to have a tent pole for our studio. Uh, so they got the right somehow, and they just didn't have the effects budget or something, because I think they blew it all in, like, Masters of the Universe or something, or something else. I don't, I don't remember. They blew it all. They didn't have enough money, basically. <laughs> they blew it on something else, and I'm, not, I'm forgetting which movie it was. Hold on a second. And the masters of the universe! <laughs> I am Adam, Prince of Eternia and defender of the secrets of Castle Grayscale. <laughs> this is Cringer, my fearless friend. Yes, Canon Films produced Masters of the Universe. Unfortunately, disaster as it was. Oh man, yeah, that. She. I feel like they made an entire movie about that movie's production. Like right. I may have watched it at some point. Just it is a complete disaster. <laughs> um. Okay. So also in 1987, the top ten highest grossing movies of 1987. The Lost Boys does not make the list. It not, yeah, it doesn't it make a, the top twenty. It does not make the top thirty. It does make the top forty, though. It came in at number thirty-five. The oh, there you go. It, it was the thirty-fifth highest-grossing movie of nineteen eighty-seven. So not bad. Um, no. The number one highest-grossing movie of nineteen eighty-seven, if you can believe this. But I actually like this movie, and it was—it's fairly funny. Three men and a baby. Oh yeah. That's, that's right, it wasn't a... <laughs> Closely followed behind by Fatal Attraction, which won the best picture and best, uh... I think it won best, um... Best actor, right? Best actor and actress? Um, it got a lot of nominations. I'm forgetting if it won or not. I know Michael... D- I'm pretty... I gotta check. I'll take a look at that. Right, Hang so, on. Beverly Hills Cop 2 came in at number 3. Good Morning mm-hmm. Vietnam at number 4. Moonstruck at number 5. Which I think that won something as well, right? Cher won? Cher won for Moonstruck, which means Glenn Close wouldn't have won. Okay. The Untouchables at number six. The Secret of My Success at number seven. Dick <laughs> Out at number eight. By the way, we're not talking like $200 million like the Avengers. I mean, Stakeout made $65 million. Lethal Weapon only made $65 million, if you can believe that. Yeah, it was just a... It was just... It's so weird to, like, it's interesting because there's certain movies that were so high-grossing at the time 
that, like, for instance, like, the first Beverly Hills Cop is, like, $300 million, but that was unheard of money. Like, (laughs) now... The number 10 movie is Dirty Dancing, which I thought would be a lot higher, followed behind by films like uh, the, 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 the Witches of Eastwick, Predator, Robocop, The Living Daylights, <clears throat> Full Metal Jacket, The Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, The Dream Warriors. Oh, dang. Um, a lot going on. Yeah. Uh, also that year, we had Jaws the Revenge, <laughs> The Gate, which is a really good movie. Evil Dead 2 also came out in 1987. Yeah. And, uh, uh, oh, Hellraiser came out that year. Yes, the first of the uh, Hellraiser movies, which the last Hellraiser movie came out last year. Can you believe that's that? That's right. That franchise is still going. Yeah, 87 is a busy year. It looks, looks like we also got Princess Bride, Raising Arizona, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, Wall Street. <laughs> God. Everything going on that year. The top ten lowest grossing movies of 1987 are Ooh. Daughter of the Nile did not make back its budget at all. Can't imagine it would with a title like that. Iron Warrior made back $0.01 million, which I don't even know what that actually means. It's probably 100000 Like okay. that. <laughs> Home is where the heart is. Creepazoids, which came out from Scream Factory. <laughs> Zombie High. You talking to me? Cyclone. Wings of Hana, 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 Oh, it's a Japanese anime movie. Hana, Hana, Hanamasi? The Forgotten... A Forgotten Tune for the Flute. The Kitchen Toto. Those are the top ten lowest grossing movies of 1987. Which, by okay. the way... Coming in at number 19 on the lowest grossing movies of all time is a movie we have talked about several times that we just mentioned. My Best Friend is a Vampire came in at number 19 (laughs) on the lowest grossing movies of all time. Did it even crack a mill or is it like like 400,000 or something? $0.17 million, which again, I don't understand what the point means when it comes to something like that. But honestly, someone told me this was never in theaters, and it was an HBO direct-to-TV movie. So maybe it was, had a very limited run in theaters and then went, went, went right to HBO. That's, that's probably what happened, yeah. That, that's my guess, is that, like, what you... At, at that point, like, HBO was still, like, kind of a fledgling network at that point, so they were just buying up rights to anything cheap so they could keep running it, you know, without much, much difficulty. Trying to think, see what the other like lowest grossing movies ever was. Man, there's nothing on here I've seen. I'm shocked. I mean, I've seen My Best Friend as a Vampire so many times. <laughs> um, Night Flyers. Night Flyers. Starring Catherine Mary Stewart from uh, from um, what, what is she in? Uh, Weekend at Bernie's. Oh, okay. The comment from Whisper to a Scream, starring the late great Vincent Price. Ah, uh, Vincent Price. All-time great there. Yeah. Um, Vincent, the life of life and death of Vincent Van Gogh. The Garbage Pale Kids movie comes in at 105. Made $1.58 <laughs> million. <dollars. laughs> Probably on a budget of like 20 bucks. 
Oh, I, well, here's the thing. It, because it's like it's like a puppet movie, which means it actually costs way more than you think it does because of all of the apparatus that has to go into that. The Care Bears movie and the Stepfather original movie are almost neck and neck for $2.4 million. Oh, the original Stepfather? Yeah. Oh, wow. It also came out in 1987. Uh, as you said, Near Dark, box office bomb, I believe. Uh, it was. Night, it was. Night 2, Hello, Mary Sue, the sequel to Prom Night, but not really a sequel, but only sequel in name. Oh, another great movie, which we are trying to get somebody on their podcast on our show. I don't know if they're, I think they're completed, because I'm not caught up yet. Uh, the Monster Squad, which was a big box office bomb. Yeah, it was a big, big box office bomb, and it also, it still technically has kind of a, Donner family connection because Donner directed Lethal Weapon, which is penned by the same, both Monster Squad and Lethal Weapon are penned by Shane Black. Oh, wow. I completely forgot about that. House 2, the second story came out in 1987. I forgot about that. And that's actually better than the first one, in my opinion. Um, Teen Wolf 2, which (laughs) starred Jason Bateman. (laughs) I have seen that, and it is is not good. (laughs) It is not good. Um, Mr. Nice Guy, starring, uh, Jackie Chan. Oh, uh, cult, that's a, that's a good one. Creep Show 2. Prince of Darkness. Oh, the movie that everyone needs to see, especially if you have a brother or sister, Flowers in the Attic. <sighs> good God. Good family that... movie. Hey, Mom and Dad, let's sit down and watch this terrible... Yeah. No. <laughs> Julie, Julie Andrews has never steered me wrong. Oh, God. Um, oh, my God. I completely, the beginning of the never-ending Ernest movies began with Ernest Goes to Camp. <laughs> oh, God. i got to be honest. If we're talking Ernest movies, the Ernest Halloween movie scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. That's actually kind of creepy. Um, Ernest but, scared stupid. Like, there's this fucking bridge troll in it, and it's creep me the hell out for three days <laughs> okay weird thing steve gutenberg is in the highest grossing movie of 1987 three men and a baby and it's the same year he leaves the police academy franchise with police academy Four: citizens on patrol yeah he was gutenberg was like a non-stop hit machine for a lot of the 80s what it's like forgotten he, what is he doing these days uh showing up i don't know i don't uh, know That's what... how about the great john lithgow comedy harry and the hendersons which is harry a and lot the of fun. hendersons yes a lot of fun that movie is uh yeah. how about the movie that you should never ever watch and people need to stop hurling it as this great film considering the first movie had this pretty bad rape scene in it revenge of the nerds 2 nerds in paradise Oh, God, yeah. I mean, yeah. Where today, you look back at that movie, and you're like, yeah, nerds suck, jocks are... I mean, nerds are good, and jocks are bad. It's like, no, a nerd disguises himself as Darth Vader and has sex with a woman pretending to be her her, boy, uh, her boyfriend. And then yeah, she there's, marries a, there's him. also a lot of problematic racial typing in that movie. And then she marries him. Yeah, that's a, that's an eventual... That's the eventual payoff. Yeah. <laughs> that they can marry... <laughs> Um, oh, The Princess Bride. Yes, classic. Batteries not included. <laughs> not a classic, but still fun. <laughs> oh, I love that movie. The special effects of that movie still hold up, I think. 
Uh, pretty, yeah, it's mostly done practically. It works pretty well. I mean, it's a big movie for Jessica Tandy, who basically was only in one other, what, one other movie a couple of years later. She was in uh, oh, yeah. Driving Miss Daisy, which she, I believe she won the Oscar for, right? Pretty sure she did, yeah. How about uh, Elizabeth Shue, hottest woman of the ni- one of the hottest women of the 1980s, and one of the greatest films ever starring uh, uh, <laughs> the actor who would play the kingpin on Daredevil, also played Thor in Adventures in Babysitting. Yes. Vincent D'Onofrio was Thor once. <laughs> in the same year, he was in Full Metal Jacket. Right? And he looks like the kingpin in Full Metal Jacket. <laughs> he really does. How about, uh, may the Schwartz be with you, yogurt. Yes. Spaceballs. Spaceballs. Arnold Schwarzenegger pulling double duty in a, uh, facing down the Predator and, uh, a movie penned by... Uh, Stephen King's alias in The Running Man, which is becoming a yeah. TV series. That makes sense. How about the worst okay. movie of all time that would uh, basically, on Family Guy, they would parody as the ring video, Mannequin. Oh, Mannequin. Oh, God. they ma- That did well enough to get a sequel. I need oh. to repeat that. Mannequin got a sequel. <laughs> which is one of the creepiest things I could possibly imagine. <laughs> Wall Street also came out in 1987. Yeah, yeah, the the greed, uh, for lack of a better word, is good. Yeah, that, that's that's what Michael Douglas won the Oscar for. He won it for that for Definitely. that year. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's right, that's right. So he he beat himself. <laughs> yes, he was in contention with himself. Yeah, I think uh, that also won Best Picture too, right? Uh, Best Picture. It's actually it's it's just a random movie fact. Best Picture is actually The Last Emperor. It's a movie almost nobody has seen unless you're just a hardcore movie buff because it's like three hours long and it's about the decline of like the Chinese Empire over time via colonialism and then war. <laughs> Did you ever see Wall Street Money Never Sleeps with Shia LaBeouf? Oh God, I did. I did see that. Oh. That was very boring. <laughs> very boring movie. Like, incredibly boring. Yeah. Apparently that movie and the discussion that followed was the inspiration for the How Did This Get Made podcast. Uh, just... I've heard that story. Yes, absolutely. Oh, and Dragnet, which, by the way, just came out from Shout Factory Select, also came out in 1987. And oh, I like nice. Dragnet. I mean, I think that movie is a lot different than the TV series. but uh, Oh, yeah. I, I still enjoy it. Early Tom Hanks when he was doing comedy before he became a serious actor. Now he's going to be playing, uh, who's he playing next? Oh, Mr. Rogers and Welcome to My Neighborhood. Oh, yeah. I mean, Tom, Tom Hanks just can do can do no wrong, really. Actually, if we're talking Tom Hanks movies that mix both like funny and spooky, my wife is a gigantic fan of The Burbs. Oh, She yeah. loves that movie. And there's a Burbs <laughs> Movie Minute podcast as well, by the way. Oh yeah. Um, raising Arizona, inner space, trains, planes, and automobiles, and the movie that would introduce us to future Batman star Christian Bale, directed by Steven Spielberg, Empire of the Sun. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, that's right. Which is that's a movie a, I, I watched when I was very young. I had no idea what that was going on in that movie, but my mom was like, "Oh, the guy who directed ET directed this. You'll like it." Like, okay. <laughs> he directed ET. It's about a kid. No, it is not. <laughs> that movie is like not what you show children. <laughs> no, that is a war film. Ah, <laughs> uh, coming of age movie. Coming of age via trauma. Fantastic. Yeah, definitely. 
Uh, well, that's pretty much it for this episode of Lost Boys Movie Minute Cup Podcast, as well as taking a little time machine back to 1987 to discuss the movies that came out. Something I've been wanting to do for a while. We might have re- uh, briefly discussed the movies of 1987 in the very first episode, but very, very briefly. I wanted to kind of go over all the movies in a very short episode, which I knew this was going to be. So, Yeah, um, it's, a sta- it's a stacked year. Yeah, wow. There was a lot of great stuff. La Bamba. I forgot to mention La Bamba also came out. Um, and also... And also the late, great Robin Williams' Good Morning Vietnam. Oh, my God. Oh, but the, the Brave Little Toaster also came out. Again, we can just go on and on. And on. <laughs> what? The Brave Little Toaster. That movie is good. It is dark as hell, but it's good. <laughs> All right, yeah. Now, this is just going to start becoming a list of movies that scarred me as a child, and that's one of them. <laughs> Which was the inspiration for the plot line in uh, Toy Story 3. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Well, again, thank you, everybody. Don't forget to check us out on Facebook, the Lost Boys Movie Minute Podcast. You can also find us on Twitter. And we're, yep, and we're the Lost Boys Minute there. And if you want to send us an email, do so at thatradiohorror@gmail.com. Please leave a rating on one of our uh, a five-star rating, if you can, on one of the places that you listen to us, Google Play, Stitcher, iTunes, one of those. Please leave us a comment in the comment section below of our website, radiohorror.com. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Thanks, everybody. Thanks again.